Welcome to the Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope, and I hope this encourages you wherever you're listening. Enjoy. Well, good morning, friends. I have to say, I have been like growing in this gifting for about five years or so, and it never stops being weird when you hear your voice coming back at yourself. So if you see me like squirming mid-talk, it's me. I'm uncomfortable. Um, But it is good to be with you, whether you are in the room or you are watching online. As Tommy said, if we haven't met before, my name is Nye, and I feel the need to give a disclaimer any time I talk, which is that I am a bit of a sop. I am so soft-hearted at times, it is really inconvenient. I'm that person that cries at the adverts, at the movies, at just about everything. When I was a kid, I used to try and fight it. Whenever you're short, people think they're giving you a compliment by being like, you're so cute. I didn't love that, so I'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm tough. And if I, if I felt like really like stirred up and I went to cry, I'd be like, it's my allergies, I'm not sad. But the role of a pastor often requires us to seek God out with you guys on our hearts. Our job is to come to God, praying for you, seeking out what he wants to say and encourage you. And that's a bit of a hard thing to do unemotively. So over the past couple of weeks, I've just been wrestling with God, just going, God, what do you have to say? And in every moment, I have felt reminded of the story of the prodigal son, or perhaps what should be appropriately called the generous father. And so if you're the note-taking type, today's talk is very simply titled, Come to me. Come to me. And we're going to jump straight into our passage, which is found in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It'll come up on the screens, but if you've got a Bible or you like to read along on your phone, that is great. To set the stage a little bit, at the start of this story, Jesus is speaking and he is surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. And it says that they continually kept coming, like he just couldn't escape all these people in need. And watching were a bunch of judgy Pharisees, unimpressed at the company that he kept. And so he tells them this story to teach them a little bit about what love should look like and its lack of judgment. And so it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, 
bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What? of Hassid. Well, here is my first point, and it is simply this. Come to me. That's real simple, right? If the points are the title, you're going to go away being like, I think she wants me to come to God. I think. Come to me. Those who've run away, those who reject me, those who've tried doing life on their own terms and found that it leaves them lacking, So many of us delay really giving our lives to God because we feel far too imperfect for him to genuinely be able to use us. As a kid, I grew up in a big Christian family. I believed in God, but I was so terrified of him. If he really was this all-knowing, all-seeing God, then he'd know all of my secrets, right? He'd know every bad thing I'd ever done. So how could I possibly stand in his presence? How could I ever be good enough? And so like Adam and Eve, I hid in the garden. I hid for as long as I possibly could until all those attempts of doing life in my own strength left me broken and exhausted. Perhaps you're feeling a bit like that today. Like you know you need God but you just feel too imperfect, too messy, too unlovable to say, here I am, Lord, come into my life. For others, there's an element of embarrassment, this sense of, I should have known better or not again. Because if we're honest, sometimes sin feels like a bit of a cycle. Like we go through the motions of walking with God only to subtly and slowly change his plans for ours, his standards for the world. As we start to prioritize the things that will bring us praise and adoration and status. But temptation's deceitful, right? Because every yes to self-gratification pulls us away from the one we really long to be with. And it's not even satisfying Because once you've got the appetite for something, it seems like it's insatiable. Take the performance that occurs when people struggle with low self-esteem or they worry about making ends meet. But what starts off as mild attention-seeking or risk-taking to get further ahead all too easily slips into using others, 
into using them to prop up egos for monetary gain. But the remedy is as simple as it is humbling. And it is to come back to the one who calls himself your father. To the one who whilst you literally rehearse your speech about how you're not good enough or holy enough or clever enough, well, he wants to meet you with mercy and compassion. That's what we see in this passage as this son, penniless from spending his money on vices, begins the long journey home. In verse 18, we quite literally hear him coming up with a plan on the fly. This is such a human moment. You can see him going, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set out and then, what am I going to say to my dad? What am I going to say? I'm going to... I'm going to say, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and then maybe he'll treat me like... You can see this kid who is having this internal struggle being like, what can I say that will make him at least treat me like a worker? And yet verse 20 says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, we don't even get to hear the son's actual speech because his dad is so uninterested in pulling up his past mistakes. We don't get to hear him say he's unworthy enough because he's caught in the shoulder of that embrace. He's caught in a dad who is covering him in kisses. You might have been going to church for years. You might even serve in a really visible way, but you've been carrying around bits of baggage and embarrassment and shame that the Father is calling you to let go of, to release and turn away from. Repentance is a funny thing. Romans 2.4 says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not condemnation, not pointing out every error, every mistake. That is not the voice of God but rather it is compassion that calls us home, that calls us into renewed relationship with him. And if you walked in today needing to hear God refer to you as child, as beloved, let those words draw you back to him. The very reason that Jesus tells this parable is because he came for imperfect people. He came for those who would recognize their need for God, whose brokenness pointed them to the one who is called to save. To be encouraged that the people being challenged by this story aren't the tax collectors or the sinners, but the Pharisees who think they know it all. And we come on to our next point, which is simply this. Come to me. Can you see what's happening here? But this time it's come to me, those who have misunderstood Humans are so wonderfully complicated that even in proximity to God, we can still try and earn this gift that he so freely gives away. And so the older son comes in from working. He hears the joyful celebrations, but he isn't happy for his brother. He's bitter. He's angry. He has made being a son, being a Christian, being a part of the church into a duty into an obligation, a thing he must do. He's made it about rules and orders, about who's in and who's out, and he doesn't think his brother makes the cut. Far from the grace that is shown by his father, his language is cruel. It keeps record of wrongs. 
This is like one of those really self-righteous outbursts that you don't quite realize are self-righteous until you're right in the middle of whatever you're saying. And it isn't pretty. It's an outburst that speaks far louder about the person shouting than the one that they're shouting about. What we have here is someone who is bubbling over because they fear that they could never be worthy of their father's love. That unless they are good enough, perfect enough, impressive enough, special enough, there will always be more they have to do, always be more they have to prove. I wonder if that resonates with anyone here today. I'm going to keep it like real, real with you guys. Um, But whenever I write a sermon, I have to keep a journal nearby because I am so prone to panic that my talk won't be good enough, useful enough for God to use that about every two lines, I have to just go, hey, God, could you remind me what matters? Could you reassure me that whether this is clever or not, useful or not, you love me and I'm enough? There is nothing to prove. God's love is on offer to all before we have done a single thing. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Both sons in this story believe a lie. One believes that they are too sinful to be worthy of the father's love whilst the other believes that he has to work hard enough to earn it. In both, we see how accepting a lie can cut off connection to the one we need it with the most. Connection for whom we were made to be in. But in love, the father corrects his son. He calls him to see how short-sighted his perspective is. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. God promises you his everlasting presence. He promises you the fullness of life that is on offer in Jesus. He says, all that I have is yours. That yes, your good works, they matter, but it is not because they impress me, rather that they are just fruits of a life lived in me. That yes, it's lovely when you serve or encourage others or work hard, but that is not the reason that God accepts you and loves you. He loves you because he created you. And he is overjoyed when with your free will, you choose to love him back. Can you guess what my final point is? Come to me. As I prepared for this talk, I really wanted to hear a voice that is just different from mine, that thinks different from how I do. And so I looked up Henri Nouwen's book on this parable. And if you're unfamiliar with Nouwen, he was a Catholic priest who devoted his life to serving those with severe learning disabilities. And I was struck by this one sentence, one sentence that will forever change how I read the parable, and it is this. Whether you are the younger son or the elder son, you have to realize that you are called to become the father. It's profound, right? Every one of us have heard this story a million times and we've always assumed that it is a display of mercy and grace. But Henri rightly points out that Jesus doesn't just tell nice stories for the sake of it. That he doesn't just demonstrate grace as something we should go back to and back to and back to like we aren't called to change and grow into something more. But rather to you, his disciples, Jesus is showing us that we are called to lay down our worldly attachments 
be it pride, status, material things, and to run with the indignity of the Father towards those who are broken and lost and in desperate need of the good news. In God, love is always an action. We are called to give away what we have received. And it is an indignity. It is costly. In the culture that this story was set, men simply did not run. Because to run, you'd have to hitch up your tunic and expose your bare legs, which was deemed far too shameful for people of important status. But run he must, because what awaited his son, if he didn't get there in time, was a ceremony called the Keza, a literal cutting off ceremony where the community would bring a giant pot to the boundary line of their village and they would smash it, severing the person's connection to their home, quite literally shouting, you are cut off from your people. For the dishonor of asking for his inheritance before his father died, for the dishonor of spending it on vices and at nations in war with Israel, the community, not even the father, would perform this public symbolic ceremony that made the son a stranger, not a child. He would never be welcomed home again. And so the father ran. He ran to the son who lay right at the center of all of this humiliation. He ran to the son who had caused him deep pain at rejecting him to live life on his own terms. He ran to the son so he wouldn't have to experience further shame. Is that not a picture of the profound and sacrificial way that Jesus loves us and calls us to imitate that love for others? For even in this moment of rescue and protection, the father takes on the weight of shame that should have fallen on his son and shows the community that all is forgiven. I told you at the start, I'm a bit of a sop, but I cannot say these words without feeling so aware of the grace and mercy that God has for every one of us here that he allows us to wake up each day, new creations who can seek his kingdom. God is good and he is kind. And this level of love, this depth of love is something that everyone needs. It's something that people are desperately searching for so often in the wrong places. You just have to walk into work or even down the street to see what happens when people grow up without the security of unconditional love. Be it the absence of dependable parents, of strong protectors, of role models, of people who are just safe enough. And it plays itself out to detrimental effects. It's a truth that I know all too well because while some of you might have heard me share my story of meeting God at university, what you won't have heard of is that on the day I found out I would finally graduate and wrap up that chapter, my cousin was killed. And my cousin, Lukey, born the same year I was my uncle's middle child, just as smart and mischievous and playful as me where the mum who loved him as much as mine was killed. And where I had grown up striving to be clever enough and bright enough and good enough that my father might love me, Lukey grew up 
trying to be hard enough and tough enough and revered enough for his. And that pursuit of notoriety, of status, well, it cost him his life. When at 4 a.m. on his way to his mum's house, he was stabbed in the back, left for his brothers to find. There are too many people in this room who know Aluki. There are too many people in this room who have journeyed through the loss of people who are fatherless in so many more ways than just physically. There are people who are longing and crying out to matter, to be loved, to be seen, to be important enough. If you are fortunate enough, you might still have time to change that person's story. But we'll all know someone, be it a teen, a loved one, a friend, someone we've lost contact with who is doing the absolute most to prove that they are enough. That they have the right clothes, the right look, enough money, enough status, that they are worth something. And so it matters that you and I wouldn't just sit in these beautiful buildings content with keeping love to ourselves, content with keeping God's grace to ourselves, content with settling for a weekly portion that will tide us over because there are scores of people in this city who are not in these buildings. They are not here. They're on the estates that are visible from every part of this borough. They are hustling and doing the most to make ends meet to make themselves feel important. And this is not an urban problem. It shows itself just as readily in the addictions people develop, in workplace cultures that make an idol of bonuses and promotions. It shows itself in the performative behavior of any of us who settle for less than the unconditional love of God. church. God is calling you. I suspect he cries more than I cry on issues like these, that we might see that there is an urgent need to become spiritual mothers and fathers, because there are so many who are lost and helpless because the voice of love and direction that they have needed to hear the most has not been there. And the voices that are always loud are always competing are those that trap people into cycles of performance, of appearance, of insecurity and broken relationships. It's those that draw people into comparison and competition that make them plug the hole, that longing for love with things that cannot be compared to a life lived with God. The end of this parable is not the young son coming back It isn't even the elder son being corrected. The end of this story is what happens when dressed in the cloak and rings of the father, we walk out our true identity as image bearers of the one who has redeemed humanity and calls us to be agents of healing and hope. You have been called. God desires to commission you, whether you are a student, a worker, a grandparent, a stay-at-home mum. He is calling you to demonstrate his love and mercy to the world around us, to step out of comfort and complacency into relationships that will cost you, because they will, because you repeatedly extend mercy, you repeatedly extend grace, you repeatedly help others, but isn't it worth it? 
I've been thinking so much about our church, about our community, about this place that we call home. And I can't help but think, wouldn't it be wonderful if our youth teams were overrun with join-in cards offering to mentor young people? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we stopped needing staff for Lighthouse because we were overrun with volunteers who just see it as their role, their joy, their privilege to serve those in need? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have a team of kids and youth workers on every estate as far as the eye can see because of the generosity of this church? God is calling us into the prisons that are both real and metaphorical so that people won't have to wonder if this is all there is because through you, God is already running in their direction. Will you run in their direction? Will you go to them because God has come to you? Don't be content with simply receiving grace. Don't cheapen grace by pretending it didn't cost Jesus his life. But rather let your life be a spectacle of lavishly giving grace away to those who are deeply in need of it. Amen? Yo, if you didn't say it back, I was going to ask questions. (laughs) In a moment, we'll respond to this as a room. But before we do, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and play over us. On the screens, a painting by Pompeo Batoni will appear, simply titled, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And I wonder, as you look at it, if you would recognize your experiences in the Son, but also your calling in the Father. So come, Holy Spirit. We sit, we wait on you. Would you minister to us? Would you provoke us? Would you call us? Take this time, Lord. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's Saint podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more ways of connecting or if you want to support the vision of Saint, you can head over to saint.church. For now, have a great week and we'll catch up really soon.